What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plank, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Okay, welcome to the show guys. If you missed last week's show, do remember you could still go and check that out on demand. You could do so at lordsofpain.net or of course at Block Talk Radio itself. Make sure you download it, give it a listen, and of course make sure you listen to all the great shows that we send you away here on Lords of Pain Radio. There's great content coming to you every single day of the week, so make sure you subscribe to your podcast provider and you don't miss a single episode of the great wrestling coverage LOP Radio brings your way. This week on Sports Entertainment is Dead... I'm carrying on with the shorter, thrifty format that I introduced last week. I didn't get any negative feedback about it, so I'm going to go ahead and assume you all enjoyed it. If you do, of course, have any constructive criticism of this new format of the show about me as a host or anything that I talk about on this show, make sure you make it heard. You can do so through all the usual means. I plug them each and every week, and I will do so again now for you. You can hit me up on Twitter at LOP Plan. You can find me on Facebook. Just look for Samuel Plan. You can drop me an email if you're feeling old school, samuel.plan101 at gmail.com. You could drop me a comment on lordsofpain.net. You could drop me a comment on Blog Talk Radio. Or, of course, best of all, you could sign up to LOP Forums. You'll find me hanging around uh, various threads in our forum on lordsofpain.net sign up, it's free, there's no obligations just enter a name, enter an email access is all yours and be a part of the best wrestling community and I genuinely believe that it is out there in the IWC today so my preferred method is that you go do that but of course you can hit me up in any of the other ways as well and I'll be more than delighted to join in some wrestle chat with you kind folks. This week on Sports Entertainment is Dead it's Dean Ambrose week because, of course, last Sunday saw The Shield's last chapter, or The Shield's final chapter. I can't remember the verbiage, but you know what I mean. It's that one-hour, ten-minute network special that they aired from a live event somewhere in the Quad Cities. The Shield's very, very last match. This time they mean it. Uh, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, and Roman Reigns taking on Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, and Bobby Lashley. Of course, there was an intercontinental title match, women's tech match on there as well. And it was, of course, the farewell of Dean Ambrose. He's gone. No more Dean in WWE. It's a bit of a sore moment for us all. It's a loss, even if you might not necessarily recognize it as one, a big loss for WWE. I think they know that. I think that's why they've treated it in the very oddly self-conscious way that they have. And I figured that as much as I'm dying to talk to you guys about Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles at Money in the Bank, boy, do I have egg on my face for predicting that at WrestleMania last week. I'm going to hold off on that for a little while longer yet because it feels only right that I spend the next few minutes of all our lives talking about Dean Ambrose, the lunatic fringe, his character, his matches, his legacy. And that's exactly what I'm going to be doing for you, with you, to you, uh, over the next 30 minutes here on Sports Entertainment is Dead. I'm going to start off by having a look at why I found his character so fascinating. We'll have a quick chat about some of my favorite matches of his and why they're my favourite matches, and we'll finish off on a bit of an oddly meta level for SEID, but the occasion demands it, talking a little bit about what I believe Dean Ambrose's legacy will be. It's Dean Ambrose Appreciation Day here at Sports Entertainment is Dead. So, with that said, there's no point in beating about the bush. Let's get cracking, and let's start with a look at who Dean Ambrose was as a character. 
the first word that really comes to my mind when you think about Dean Ambrose is tragedy. I've always said this, I think Dean is one of the most tragic heroes we've ever seen in WWE, one of the most tragic characters overall that we've ever seen in WWE. And I say that from a perspective of sympathy. It's not something that I think makes him pathetic or pitiable. I think it's what makes him sympathetic. Dean Ambrose has always had this air of tragedy about him. And the most wonderful thing is it's never really been all that fully fleshed out. It's not like it's been explicitly explained who he is or that he comes from a broken home or that he comes from a traumatic past. Talking about the character, not the performer here, as I will be throughout the entire show, so do please keep that distinction in mind. But there's enough hints both in his actions, in his words, in the words of others about him, that he very much is a, a tragic figure. And I think that Bray Wyatt, uh, as is so often the case in, in, in Bray Wyatt feuds, provided what, for me, was the most definitive moment of Ambrose's life cycle in WWE, which was during the Survivor Series 2014 feud. A fantastic match, by the way, if, you've, if you haven't seen it, go back and, and watch it. There's a line in a promo in the build-up to it why it says something along the lines of does daddy still send you postcards from prison? It's such a wonderfully poetic line to throw out there. And it, it, it hints at the chaotic, tragic background of Dean Ambrose and how he therefore becomes so sympathetic and so easy to support, so easy to get behind, because who doesn't like to see something of themselves in a tragic hero? Whether that is justified as a perception or not, it's often how we all feel. And more importantly, the ending to that match at Survivor Series 2014, which was, I felt, very deliberately evocative of the end of the Bray Wyatt-John Cena match at WrestleMania 30. Bray Wyatt tempting the hero to hit him with a chair and to surrender to his worst side, and where John Cena refused to do that, tellingly, Dean Ambrose did not. And I thought that that, that juxtaposition beautifully sums up the difference between those two heroes, the perfect man in John Cena and the very real man in the form of Dean Ambrose. And I think that's why when my right side of the pond brother Joey Shinobi, the Daily Miss Joey Shinobi, once said that if you cut Dean Ambrose in half, he'd be the shield to the core. I thought that was a brilliant line. I think it, again, sums him up perfectly because when you realize Dean Ambrose is this tragic figure to whom the world doesn't make sense and that's very much the case I'll say a little bit more more about that later on but when you come to that conclusion uh, I think that what you realize is that the shield to Dean Ambrose was as much a home as it was a family and as much a family as it was a home in other words he found a family he never had uh, in the past and that meant the world to him but I think that it also was a home for him in that the shield busied themselves dispensing their own form of justice essentially forcing the world to make more sense and I think that's the purpose Dean Ambrose found in the shield and that that's why the betrayal of Seth stung him 
the deepest because it destroyed his entire life. It was the only sanity he'd ever known in life, the only place in which the world had ever made sense. And Seth Rollins tore that away from him. And I think that's why it was so palpably uh, and viscerally an emotional experience uh, for Dean, of course, for Seth too, but specifically for Dean because of this background and because of this worldview. And that is what helped, for my money, make the Seth Rollins-Dean Ambrose story Again, just my opinion, the single best creative rivalry and storyline we've ever seen in WWE bar none. I think it tops the lot. I think it supersedes Austin and Rock. It supersedes uh, Brett and Sean. It supersedes Austin and Vince. You throw out as many of those iconic rivalries as you want. And for me, Seth and Dean top it all because it has that basis, that foundation in such a real palpable, I said it earlier, sense of emotion, and that's largely down to the the three the, the magnificently three-dimensional way, but subtle way that Dean Ambrose's character was fleshed out, and not just in a promo, as Dean Ambrose is a famous promo for obvious reasons, but the way he would carry those little moments into matches, telling Seth that he loves him at the end of the Lumberjack match, not that he loved him, past tense, but that he loves him, present tense, moments like that are what helped create this, this for me, what was a very, very lucid vision of who Dean Ambrose was in a way that you don't see often in wrestling, if at all, particularly in WWE today. And what it all meant is that in the end, Dean Ambrose's character, again, for my money, was essentially a tortured soul done good. This was a guy who was at great pains to exist in the world, but existed in the world anyway, and who had a far more admirable world view than any of the rest of us. People called him the lunatic fringe, when in actual fact, he was the only sane man in a lunatic world. This is a guy, and if you want to talk about iconic moments that summarily describe who Dean Ambrose is, look no further than the Chris Jericho feud when Ambrose tore up the jacket in retaliation for Jericho destroying Mitch the Plant. People passed it off as a little comedy, but in actual fact, it was a key insight into Ambrose's worldview and why I'm justified, I believe, in saying he was the only sane man in a lunatic world. And that's because Dean Ambrose doesn't place the value of a thing based upon its monetary worth as defined by society. To him, the value of a thing is based upon simply how much it means to you as a person. And that's such a healthy view to take of the world, to be less obsessed with the material wealth and the material gain and the material uh, uh, value of things like Chris Jericho was in that few. Jericho couldn't understand how Dean Ambrose believed destroying a $10,000 jacket was equitable to destroying a $2 plant. But the point is Ambrose loved the plant and Jericho loved the jacket. So to Ambrose, of course it was it was equal. Of course it was uh, it was a, 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 a like-for-like action. It wasn't about how much they cost, it was about how much they meant. And that, to me, is such a beautiful way of seeing the world. And that it comes from such an inherently tragic character, I think, makes Dean Ambrose one of the most inspiring characters in WWE lore as well. I think it it touches a nerve with me that few other characters ever had. That this guy who, in fact, not just in spite of, but because of the fact that he had this apparently tragic background, knows the value, the true way to find value in things in the world, the true way to find value in the world, uh, the true way to appreciate what you have 
unlike all these other characters around him, and the fact that he's the only one who has that worldview, and that we all call him a lunatic for it, when in actual fact we're probably the lunatics for thinking that destroying a $10,000 jacket that means as much to somebody as a $2 plant does to somebody else is in some way a heinous crime instead of an equitable measure. I mean, Dean Ambrose is a character that can put for you into perspective the madness of the world that we've come to live in, particularly in the current political climate as well. And I think for that reason... If only for that reason alone, Dean Ambrose is is one of the most important fictional characters in all the history of WWE. Uh, The perfect foil, incidentally, for someone like the Million Dollar Man. I mean, you want to talk about dream matches, that's the ultimate for me, is is this this paragon of capitalism against a man who sees the world as it should be. And, you know, uh, there's so much inspiration to be found in that. For that alone, like I say, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the character of Dean Ambrose disappearing from the landscape of WWE's fictional universe leaves it very much bereft uh, and, and is, a so, is a majorly sore loss for that fictional universe uh, from the perspective of the other characters in the fictional universe the, the, the centre of moral gravity has disappeared and the, again the fact that that centre of moral uh, gravity was sure to be that in spite of that worse side of himself that vicious corruptible side of himself that's constantly screaming at him to be something different that we've seen him recently of course surrender to in very tragic fashion very hurtful fashion um you know makes him even more the hero dean ambrose you know he's he's not an everyman hero like steve austin he's something more than that he is he is the john cena we could potentially all be we can't be john cena john cena is superman but we can be dean ambrose and dean ambrose has all the same moral virtuousness as john cena and he expresses it in a far more realistic and relatable manner i'm going to very sorely miss him for that reason alone and of course beyond the character are the matches now it helps of course when you have a character as three dimensional and you have a stronger grasp on that three dimensional character as dean ambrose to go into matches with to help them take on that next level. And usually with this kind of a topic on a podcast, what I would do is I would sit down and I would think ahead of time, okay, what are the matches that I want to talk about? And I would pick them ahead of time. I've decided not to do that because I figured the best way to figure out which of his matches mean the most to me is to just do it off the top of my head because surely the ones that come to me first are the ones that meant the most to me from, from memory. Uh, And so that's what I've decided to do. And I'm going to get to that in just a little short while. Uh, First of all, going to take us to a quick advert break. Again, remember, it's New Look Sports Entertainment is dead. I'm meant to be going faster, thriftier. Uh, So stick with me. And when we come back after this short advert break, I'm going to be talking, first of all, about my favorite uh, uh, singles matches for Ambrose and then my favorite shield matches for Ambrose. More on that in just a, a, a second. Stick with me, guys. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with me. It is, as I have said at the top of the show, of course, it is Dean Ambrose week here on Sports Entertainment is uh, dead. And I've decided to spend this half an hour looking at a retrospective of Dean Ambrose, who he is as a character, already done that. And of course, now let's talk about some of my favorite matches. I'm going to pick three. 
Three immediately come to mind of his singles work. The first is the ladder match with Seth Rollins. I've gone on record many times talking about my adoration of this absolute masterpiece. Not only from a genre perspective, this was a ladder match that really reset the genre to what it was before the multiplicity of Edge and Christian and the Hardys and the Dudleys came along. And I would contest that it's actually even more cerebral than some of those more famed earlier ladder matches like the famous WrestleMania 10 one. Yes, I am saying it's better. Uh, and I think it's it's watertight. The logic in the match is watertight. It has this grand epic scope. It's highly dramatic. But most importantly of all, it takes on a whole other level of meaning. First of all, because of the foundation that it has in terms of the emotional anchor of the Ambrose-Rollins rivalry and the relationship, there's one horrible moment in it where Rollins is slapping Ambrose literally across the head saying it was never about you and it feels genuinely uncomfortable to watch. Uh, And then after the match, when Ambrose can't quite manage to get the job done, he cuts this promo. You could still see it on YouTube through WWE's YouTube channel. Can't remember exactly what it is that he says, but he talks about how it was meant to be more than just about winning the championship and and showing the world that someone like Seth Rollins can't get away with the stuff that he's getting away with because that isn't fair. And it comes back to the worldview I was talking about uh, uh, before the advert break about Dean Ambrose seeing the world as it should be and not seeing the world as it is. And that's why we call him a lunatic when in actual fact, as I said earlier, he's really the only sane man in a lunatic world. And for him to say that on the back of an exhausting match, I mean, he looks disheveled, he's drenched, in sweat, his hair is matted to his brow, he can't bend one leg because of the damage dealt to it by Seth Rollins, and the fact that all of this has come from Seth Rollins, who was once his brother, his beloved brother, just gives it that extra layer of meaning. It's an incredible match, I will never tire of seeing it, I've seen it a bunch of times, and every single time I do watch it, it transports me to another place, to the point where, as pretentious as it sounds, I forget the room I'm sitting in, I'm so engrossed in the tale that those two men told, Uh, I could watch that to the ends of the earth. And I would happily do so. And I will champion it to the day I die. It deserves more credit than it gets. Uh, But that's only one, of course. Uh, And incidentally, I I encourage you to go and watch that. I think it it achieves a level of creativity few matches have achieved in, in a very long time. Uh, Another match that I wanted that immediately springs to mind here is Roadblock. The match, the famous match with Triple H over the WWE World Heavyweight Championship ahead of WrestleMania 32. And the conversation around this has always been conflated by the 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 context in which this occurred. It was during the, the bizarre time when they wanted Roman to headline WrestleMania, but spent the entire season building up Dean Ambrose instead, only to not give us what we wanted at the time. Dean Ambrose had never been hotter. It's such a deeply cerebral match. This one is new gen all over. And if you follow my work on Lords of Pain, podcasts, columns, whatever, you know I'm a huge new generation guy. Uh, this it's it's got such cerebral depth to it, and I think there are actually very few matches that demonstrate the fact that Dean Ambrose is not the lunatic we call him as this one. This is a match that doesn't lay bare Dean Ambrose's mind. It lay bears. It lays lays bare our own mindset and how false it is for us to label him a lunatic because he proves he could be as cerebral as the cerebral assassin, which should cast into doubt the characterization we impose upon the, the so-called lunatic fringe and therefore raise questions in our own mind about our own worldview. That's the marvellous, wondrous thing about this roadblock match. And of course, it ends in, in dubious circumstances. There's a moment in the middle of the match where it looks like Ambrose has won. He outclasses Triple H almost every single turn throughout this entire match and to see Dean Ambrose who is so often 
sort of bottled up into that stereotype of he's crazy, uh, you know, he's a bit of a brawler, he's a bit of a hardcore guy. Actually, Ambrose, a lot like like Austin, I'm not one for the Austin comparison, but a lot like Austin, is capable of wrestling far better than people have ever given him credit for. This is the one 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 of few matches where he gets to demonstrate that, and I think he, he demonstrates it brilliantly. Yes, the commentary track is appalling, uh, but if anything, that only sort of feeds further into what I believe is the underlying th- message, that the theme of the match, which again is about how wrong we are in calling him a lunatic fringe, and how actually it's the, the, the worldview of Dean Ambrose we should be paying attention to, and not the other way around. Uh, and there's just, I mean, it's again 30 minutes long. This is a match that could have and perhaps should have headlined WrestleMania that year, not the match we eventually got. It's a situation in which the typical Triple H match, you know, work the leg uh, to to use the the cliche, the descriptive cliche, uh, very much works. Uh, but most of all, I love it, as I said, because of the way it reveals the flaw in our own characterization of Dean Ambrose as a lunatic. So like the latter match, if you haven't seen it for a while, go check it out. Also, the other match that springs to mind is the AJ Styles match uh, that he had at Backlash 2016. Again, another new-gen style classic. It's one that has epic scope again. Uh, I still think it's Styles' best match in the company. We'll see if I still think that after Money in the Bank, of course, he says with a grin, but I still think it now. Um, And what I love so much about it is that in the way that Ambrose outclasses Triple H Roblox, Styles outclasses Ambrose here. This is a match that pits Styles' expansive offensive retinue against Ambrose. And again, it shows a little bit about who Ambrose is as a character. Ambrose can't keep up with the offensive retinue of AJ Styles. But what we see here is another defining characteristic of him, which I've always said is in the sense in the Brock Lesnar match, WrestleMania 32, is which Ambrose just doesn't understand what pain is. He registers it, but he doesn't understand it the way that we do. It's almost like it doesn't affect him. And that's what gives him this apparently superhuman ability to endure excessive amounts of physical punishment laid down upon him by the likes of someone such as AJ Styles. Uh, and uh, this, again, this that's really the defining characteristic of this match. It's the kind of the comeback in the late stages that takes it to that next level. And you see AJ Styles kind of getting more and more baffled by what he could do to put Ambrose away. It's so beautifully simple. Uh, and again, that's something Ambrose was so good at, was just telling simple but incredibly effective stories in the ring. So the AJ Styles match, uh, and, and also how that then reframes the betrayal of, of Rollins. Because, yes, uh, this is a match that demonstrates Ambrose doesn't register physical pain the way we might do, but think about what it must have meant to him for him to then demonstrate the emotional pain that he suffered in response to the uh, betrayal of Seth Rollins. Like, if he doesn't register pain, how and he can go through all this physical punishment, what must it mean to him to, sh- to, to feel the emotional pain of Rollins' betrayal? It recasts the depth of meaning that that brotherhood had for him, and again, the depth of meaning that the betrayal had in his life as a defining uh, event in his character's life. Which brings me to some of the Shield matches or Shield-related matches. The first one that springs to my mind is the tag match with Rollins at SummerSlam 2017, I think it was. Uh, where uh, It was, yes. Uh, where they finally reunited. And I thought that that was such a beautifully told story. So so powerfully evocative in the build-up to it brought a tear to my eye more than once. And when you begin to recognise, again, how that's reframed by the recognition that he doesn't register pain, 
which again, incidentally, plays a role in the magnificent matches, not just the SummerSlam one, but the No Mercy one as well, with the bar. You see Ambrose, you know, absorb all that, that paints, what made him, and in combination with Seth's indomitable willpower to succeed, it made an, a, 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 just a practically unbeatable team. Uh, you, so you see that again in the content of the matches, but again, the reunion, and, and how that's recast, and the emotional meaning, and, and how much more meaning that takes on because of how... Uh, the 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 uh, the betrayal has been recontextualized in recognition of the fact again this man doesn't register pain. So the SummerSlam matches up there, Shield matches two spring to mind. One of which might surprise you. The first is the Bray Wyatt the the Bray Wyatt Luke Harper Eric Rowan match at Elimination Chamber, which is very much a Dean Ambrose match from the beginning. It's one of my 101 matches to see before you die. A book that's still available to buy on Amazon.co.uk by the way, and in Amazon all across the world. Um, and it's it's a it's a spiritual successor to the famous Canadian Stampede main event, magnificently told story in a multi-man expansive tag team environment, very much a Dean Ambrose story because you see Bray Wyatt register in his own mind. Dean Ambrose is the one that he can provoke to break ranks, and that's the story that then unfurls. And of course, it's Ambrose's departure from the Shield that sees the Shield defeated, uh, which, you know, I mean, takes some symbolism in that, if you like, as well. Such a powerfully visceral match uh, and and uh, brilliantly based around Ambrose. And the other one that springs to mind is actually the Dogs of War match at Super Showdown. Now, I know what you're thinking. You may think, oh, he's just saying that because it's one of the more recent ones. I genuinely mean this. One of the reasons I love that match, yeah, sure, it's not the most exciting in terms of the actual content, and the Shield were always great at putting on matches that had very exciting content. You know, it's not up there with the Wyatts match in, in that regard. It's not up there with the Fastlane match from just a couple of months ago in that regard, or any of their, some of their other more famous matches like the Evolution matches. But what it does is tell a far more cerebrally emotional story than all those others, because, again, it's an Ambrose match through and through. It's based around him. It's something of a companion piece to the Wyatts match, in the sense that this time it's about how Ambrose not breaking ranks with the Shield allows them to win. So if the Wyatts match is about him breaking ranks, causing the Shield to be defeated, this is him keeping ranks to cause the Shield to win. And it's it's most of all, it's the, it's the, the, the semantic meaning of the gestures in the finish that propel it to the next level for me. The way that Roman takes the hit for Ambrose by intervening and spearing Strowman before Strowman can lay him out. The way that Rollins takes the hit for Ambrose in, in making sure that Ambrose doesn't get taken out. I can't remember by who it is by McIntyre or someone like that in the ring. And then the way that Ambrose is able to pick up the victory, that reaffirmation of their their loyalty and faith and bond with him is what makes it so powerful. And I dare say, if you go back and rewatch that match now on this on the back end of this podcast and, and the character talk we've had and the back end of his, his actual farewell and that final promo that he cut, I think that that match will take on another level of meaning for you. I absolutely love it. I love all of his matches generally. I think he has a body of work that stands practically unrivaled in WWE. And this brings me now to sort of the final word in this 30-35 minute show. I want to take a few minutes to talk about what I believe is the legacy of Dean Ambrose. So yes, it's a bit more meta than we're used to here at Sports Entertainment is Dead, but I think if if an occasion warrants breaking that ranks, it's this occasion. Because I think Dean Ambrose, first of all, let's call a spade a spade, he is one of the most iconic names of his generation, and therefore, by extension, one of the most iconic names in all of WWE history. You may think that's a grandiose statement to make, but if you boil WWE history down to the foremost players in each successive generation of talent, Dean Ambrose is right in the mix alongside Rollins and Reigns and rightfully so as well because I still maintain Ambrose is one of 
if not the most talented performer of his entire generation. I include Seth Rollins in that as well, and you know how much I admire Seth Rollins' work. And the reason I say that is the very reason many people will disagree with me, actually. Dean Ambrose's legacy is that he was an old-school wrestler in a new-school age. He was the guy who was slowing things down when everyone else was wanting to speed up. When we live in an age of, of excessive hysteria, and you see the matches like we see with Champron Gargano on NXT, for example, which lay it on thick, lay it on thick, do more, do more, do more. Ambrose was always the guy that told a cerebrally clean, psychologically deep, but 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 just unfathomably clever match in the ring. The sad thing is, it's a deeply unfashionable style with which to wrestle these days. And I say that not as a criticism of fans, just as an observation. People want whiz-bang these days. They want things to move fast. They want high, high-octane action. They want high-paced action. They want oodles and oodles of finish. We live in a post-Shawn Michaels Undertaker age, and that's the kind of match that people love the most. When Ambrose comes along and wrestles a Bret Hart-style match, therefore it tends to get rejected outright, and I think that that's unfair. I think if you were to, in 20 years' time, look back on the matches that Ambrose wrestled in comparison to the same matches happening elsewhere on the card at the same time, while those other matches were all preferable to people in the immediate, they're going to lose a little bit of their sheen in the future. They're not as infinitely rewatchable. That's why the work of Bret Hart stands up to scrutiny still to this day and it's why the work of Dean Ambrose will stand up to scrutiny in the future as well. His work is the kind of work that will stand the test of time. It is timeless Uh, and he's very much a man out of time both in the sense that his work is timeless but also in the sense that if he was wrestling in the mid-1990s we'd already be talking about him as what he is which is one of the greatest in-ring talents of all time bar none. Seth Rollins as you know my favourite wrestler of this generation and my favourite wrestler of all time and by no short distance. Bret Hart, my number two. Dean Ambrose is my number three, and it's it's very close between him and Bret as well, quite honestly. I think in an age where he might have been able to be given greater uh, creative uh, material to work with, he'd have absolutely gone gone you know, supernova. And there was a moment there where he would, and we forget that. There was a moment where, had he won the 2016 Royal Rumble and walked out champion, had he beaten Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania at 32, if either of those things had happened, that's it. That's all she wrote. He would have been the de facto number one guy forever. But then... You know, he he didn't win the Rumble. He lost to Brock Lesnar. Austin assassinated his character on the podcast. AJ Styles got hot. It became fashionable to not like Dean Ambrose. And all of a sudden, you're in a situation where he doesn't get the credit that, that he warrants. Dean Ambrose didn't care about the fashion of the day. He, he well, you've heard, I mean, it's a phrase that Rollins has said many times in interviews. He He marches to the beat of his own drum. And I admire that so much. Uh, so much um, and and for me I think it's important to remember how much the product has benefited and the company has benefited from his relentless consistency more so than I think anybody else Dean Ambrose had one injury uh, and if it weren't for that injury you know would have been on the road constantly since since he debuted on the main roster the guy was a workhorse there was that 
promo he cut on Talking Smack when people asked if he thought he was on the same level as Cena and Styles, very insultingly, I thought, and Ambrose pointed out to them that it was his third or fourth main event of the week. That's who Dean Ambrose is. He's the spine. People don't talk about him in the way they'll talk about Seth Rollins. They won't talk about him or argue about him in the way they talk or argue about Roman Reigns. It doesn't matter, and I dare say he doesn't need that kind of validation. All he does is show up to work and knock it out of the park. That's all he did for seven long years on the main roster and before that he was doing it in FCW I would put by the way some of his matches with Rollins and FCW above and and with William Regal as well above and beyond a lot of what we've seen since Uh, and I say that without irony I say it without being glib or smug or trying to be a hipster I genuinely mean it Dean Ambrose has been a central pillar to the product for a very very long time time. He's a a Grand Slam champion for a long time. He came off as the de facto leader of the Shield. Even if he was given scripts, he was still one of the best promos in the company. His, his, uh, you know, the, the fact that he had Stone Cold Steve Austin calling him out and telling him he should be more like Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he was like, no, I don't need to be more like you. I mean, I just, I, as someone who is unapologetically pro-current gen, to the point where I would say that I think it's the most talented generation of wrestlers we've ever seen, and that if they weren't dealing with the circumstances that, by the way, no other generation before them ever had to deal with, they would be eclipsing what the vaunted, you know, sort of godlike worshipped stars of the past achieved. I I, I stand by that statement. Dean Ambrose would be front and centre of that. It's going to be a sore loss. And the fact that his last night in the company, the Shield's final chapter, whatever it was called, he gave the the, the moment of the pinfall victories to the current Universal Champion and his brother Seth Rollins, which from a fictional standpoint means so much considering everything those two had been through, but from a real-world standpoint means just as if not more, more, just as much if not more, uh, you know, is a testament to his character as an individual. The fact that he used his final promo in the company to put over his two brothers because he was leaving and to tell the world, listen, if they say you can't be what you want to be, tell them the Shield say, fuck you, uh, pardon my French. Uh, I mean, that is such a beautiful way for a character that has embodied that through and through from day one uh, to to go out on. Um Dean Ambrose, I said it earlier, is a man who, you know, judged the world not by the value of things, but by the values of a man. You know, I I, I get so sick and tired as someone who uh, is a millennial and and is, uh, you know, um, I mean, I hit a milestone age this year. Um, I, I constantly have to hear, you know, older generations, my parents, their friends always say, oh, we valued things more in my day. We valued stuff more in my day. And I always say, well, we value people more in mine. And I think that that's true through and through because... You know, 30 years ago, there were certain kinds of people who weren't allowed to adopt or get married. You go back even further than that, there were certain kinds of people who weren't allowed to ride on certain buses or eat in certain restaurants. If the trade-off is is becoming Dean Ambrose and valuing, uh, you know, placing the values of a man above the value of a thing, then I'm all in. And I, and I am proud of that. And I am proud to be of a generation that I believe drives that change. And that's why I believe Dean Ambrose was a hero for our time. I said it at the top of the show. A tragedy, perhaps, but a be- in beautifully chaotic fashion, in the beautifully chaotic fashion of contradiction that he always so brilliantly embodied, 
he's an inspiration uh, too, a real world inspiration. Sports entertainment is dead. Pro wrestling's performance art, 101 WWE matches to see before you die. It's all based on a simple notion that pro wrestling can talk about the world as much as any other legitimate quote unquote art form can as well. It has something to say about the world we live in and no character in all of WWE has said more about the world we live in and the way we should live in that world uh, than uh, Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose. He's a man who wasn't defined by his flaws, but by his ability to move beyond those flaws on a regular, practically uh, daily basis. His final speech in The Shield's last chapter defined who he was as a character, and I get the impression probably defines who he is as a man. And when I... As a Seth Rollins guy, when I sit and I think about how torturous and iconic a journey Seth Rollins has been on, having to fight his demons, having to come to terms with his demons, having to overcome those demons, and having to rebuild himself from the ground up, and he's done that once over a course of years. And then I think that actually that's a journey Dean Ambrose went on each and every single day of his life. Then as a Seth Rollins fan... I can draw as much inspiration from Dean Ambrose and his journey as I can from my own chosen heroes. Dean Ambrose is going to be a sore loss for the time that he was in the company. He worked absolute magic. He was the center of moral gravity in the fictional landscape of WWE. And I can only hope, as seems to be the most fitting end to their iconic rivalry, their their incredible relationship, that now Seth Rollins is Universal Champion and as a man who has been through the experience once that Dean Ambrose goes through every single day. And it is, he it, it found it such a struggle that it defines who he is, that he can take up the mantle of his departed brother and become that moral of that center of moral gravity that Ambrose always was in his stead. Uh, we say goodbye to Dean Ambrose. I hope not forever. I hope he'll come back. I have to believe that he will. But even if he doesn't, it is because of a man like Dean Ambrose, what he represented and what he was able to achieve, that I will always believe in the shield. Thanks for listening.